0: Hey guys, it's Allie. Welcome back to Infertile AF, the podcast. This is episode 248 called Mara Smith. This podcast is sponsored by Receptiva DX. Receptiva DX is a powerful test that has helped thousands of women who have experienced recurrent pregnancy loss or IVF failure. The test helps detect inflammatory conditions of the uterus that might be preventing you from becoming pregnant or staying pregnant. The most common underlying condition of a positive Receptiva DX test is endometriosis with or without symptoms. If you or someone you know has struggled with IVF, Receptiva DX may give you the answer and treatment protocols that you're looking for. Talk with your doctor about Receptiva DX because the journey is so worth it. Plus, guys, InfertileF listeners are getting $75 off the Receptiva DX test. So all you have to do is go to receptivadx.com or download the app Receptiva DX, use code infertileaf23, and you'll get $75 off. Thanks, Receptiva DX. This episode is sponsored by Barry Fertility. Guys, as we all know, starting your fertility journey can be a big and deeply personal moment, but that doesn't mean you have to go it alone. Introducing the Berry Fertility App, a free way to manage your fertility treatments, including egg freezing, IVF, and embryo transfers all in one place. The Berry App does a ton of things. It can help you understand the stages of your treatment, look up information about your medications, and set reminders for your doses and appointments. You'll also find simple-to-follow injection videos, tutorials, and articles with pro tips on how to manage your injections. Oh my God, this is something I so wish I had when I was going through it. The Berry team is always available to provide support and answer your questions. It's 100% free to use and you can find it in the Apple app store. Try Berry Fertility, the trusted partner for every fertility journey. Thanks, Berry. All right, guys. So my guest today is my friend, Mara Smith, and I met her through the Hey Mama community because she is a fellow mama founder. She actually founded this incredible tequila company called Inspiro Tequila. We're going to talk about that a little bit on the show, but she's mostly going to talk about her family building journey, which was her doing IVF over 20 years ago. So it's pretty interesting to hear what the landscape was like, that long ago, you know, 20 years ago, so much has changed. Obviously IVF is just over 40 years old, so a lot has changed since then as well. So we're going to talk about all of that. We're going to talk about her having her twins through IVF, and then we're going to talk about what happened when she realized she was not quite done building her family. So it's a really interesting story. She's a wonderful, brilliant person. Thank you, Mara, for sharing your story. And without further ado, this is Mara's Infertility Story hello mara smith how are you i'm good how are you really good thank you so much i'm so excited i got to meet you at our chicago irl event you brought your really delicious. Inspiro Tequila. It was so good. And we'll talk about that and how you started this brand and why and all that. But first I want to get into your family building journey. So tell me about growing up. Did you always want to be a mom? Yes. I think I
1: always knew that. In fact, it's kind of funny. Not only do I want to be a mom, I wanted to be a twin mom, which is very interesting. I remember in high school, you got these like Eggs like they were the just the shells of the eggs, the hollow eggs that you had to like take care of to see, like yes. how you would take care of, like, you know, totally whatever, like in a home exercise, yes. yes. <laughs> and uh, and you randomly got assigned, and I was assigned boy girl twins, and I was like, oh my, and I was so excited that I had like twin eggs, and two uh sets of twins were like my best, like best friends growing mm-hmm. up, and I like always wanted to be a twin and I want to have twins. So it's kind of funny, it's really ironic that later in life I had boy-girl twins. I always think about that that I had these like eggs that were, um, I guess it was meant
0: to be. That's so cool, you manifested it. Tell me about when you met your husband and did you guys start talking about family building or what you wanted your family to look like? No, because I met my husband in high school. So no, we were not like at all thinking about family
1: building. Then we went to some Mm -hmm. colleges, then I went to law school. So it was not even like, on the radar. Okay. Um, also, one thing that was never on the radar was the fact, like I was just very, I was really myopically focused on like my career.
0: You were. So what did you school. want to
1: do? Well, I wa- I always knew I wanted, wanted to be, a, be a, lawyer. a lawyer. I wanted to be Supreme Court Justice. Actually, as a as a young girl, because I guess I wanted to, like a you know job for life. But I knew I was that going is to law so Cool. Yeah. So I studied like in, in very intensely. I knew I wanted to go to law school. I knew after law school I was going to work at a big law firm. So it actually was like not on my radar because I was so focused on my career. Then what happened is when I was at, at my law firm, I worked for like a, a really large law firm in Chicago. Then I started thinking about I'd been I'd been married for a number of years. I'd been there for years at the law firm. I started thinking about, okay, I wanna start a family. And that's when I realized, oh, how am I gonna possibly like have this job and start a family? When I was at the law firm, there were no female partners in my entire department. Wow. So I I had no role models to look at, like, how you can work at, like, a big law firm life and manage family. And the options at that time were really just to go part-time, which for me would mean being taken off the partnership track, which is not something. I mean, I love my job, but if I was going to do it, I I wanted to, like, really be able to, like, progress. Mm-hmm. So if you could take off the partnership track, you wouldn't get, like, the fun sexy deals. You get kind of like the more mundane work, which I like doing the big fun deals. Right. Of Uh, course. And you really get paid for part-time work, but you're really kind of still working full-time as far as like in a large law firm. So I need to see a lot of options. So that's actually when I really started thinking seriously about, okay, I want to start a family. I decided to go the corporate route and I moved jobs and changed careers. And I went into corporate strategy at a fortune 500 company thinking Mm -hmm. that would allow me to like
0: manage it better. Right. So did you and your husband date in high school? I know you said you met in high school. We did. We started dating. That's so funny. Same with me.
1: Mm -hmm. And then we went to two
0: different colleges as well and then got back together later. Yeah, That's wild. Okay. So then you went on, you kind of pivoted like career wise, right? Then when did you guys... Get married and start like in earnest thinking about family building.
1: Yes. So we had already been. We got married right when I started at a law firm, like out of law school. So gotcha. we had been married. So I'd been married that whole time working at a law firm. Then I worked. My husband then went back to business school after he worked. So like it was kind of by the time then we're like, oh, I better start thinking about this. Uh, you know, I want to have kids. And that's when I like change jobs. I'm like, okay, I'm going to find a job that will be more conducive to having a family mm-hmm. and um, working. Well, I mean, it's the best laid plans. Uh, nothing ever goes <laughs> 100%, according to plan, right? hundred so, percent, yep, yep, yep. Um, I moved to corporate strategy and then um, discovered, even though, you know, I'd started the process to not realize it was going to be such a, a long, uh, a long process as far as like actually getting to the point of having, um, a family and getting pregnant. So that was just a long, you know, we had gone through, you know, many different attempts at everything. And I was doing all things, acupuncture, everything, trying naturally, then trying, it ends up that we ended up doing, going through IVF. And what was going on with you?
0: Did you ever get diagnosed with anything? Like you guys, um, uh, yes,
1: polycystic
0: ovary, so PCOS. Yes. Okay. Okay.
1: Um, but we were really fortunate that the that time, the first time I I did it, it it talk and okay. I end up with my twins. So oh, wow, is very okay. lucky.
0: Um, yeah. So let's let me just but, unpack that a little yes. bit. So <laughs> what was going on, like culturally surrounding IVF? Like, what did you know about it? Who were you talking to? Was anybody like? talking about it like they do now, I mean, so much has changed even in the past, you know, almost five years since I've had this podcast, but you know, what was, what was the state of like the cultural, you know, take on IVF and just assisted reproductive technology in general? It was very, this episode is brought to you by Vegamore. I'm always trying to do right by my body. So when it comes to my hair and scalp health, finding a product that actually works and is made with clean ingredients always seems like a trade-off. But with VEGAMORE, I get products that are made with clean ingredients and give me visibly healthy hair and scalp. With VEGAMORE, I am able to have noticeably thicker, fuller, shinier, longer hair, all without the harsh ingredients. Every cute pink bottle of VEGAMORE products are 100% cruelty-free and are never formulated with potentially harmful chemicals like parabens or hormones. Okay, so I got my box of Vegamore products and I've been using them all for the past month. The shampoo, the conditioner, the grow hair serum, the hair foam, the eyelash serum, the eyebrow serum. It's been about a month, like I said, and my hair really does feel stronger and thicker. Everything looks better. And the shampoo in particular, I have to say smells really good. The key is consistency in your routine for your most beautiful, healthy looking hair. I use Vegamore grow hair serum daily and my hair and scalp are feeling better than ever. Here's another cool thing. Vegamore has these great value kits like the Grow Essentials Kit, where you get to try more than one amazing product at a time at great savings. So when you sign up for a monthly subscription, you save more and you never run low on the products that you need. And fun fact, guys, Vegamore sells one bottle of the Grow Hair Serum every 15 seconds on their website. That's how good this stuff is. So here is the deal, my beautiful listeners. For a limited time, you can get 20% off your first order by going to vegamore.com slash infertileaf and using code A F at checkout. That's dot rcom slash AF, code infertileaf to save 20% on your first order. dot rcom slash infertileaf, code infertileaf. Thanks, Vegamore.
1: different so my twins my oldest um are juniors in college so they're 20 so this was I 21 years ago you do not talk about it with anyone I had one friend who I talked about it with I didn't talk about family I didn't tell people and at the time it was like it, it's interesting because I I still don't talk about it a lot because that's still been my mentality it's like that's how I it, it was just like thought of as different and and I don't know like you know, you're worried your kids would think they're somehow different. Everything now it's like so mainstream. right? Um, but I remember like ducking in and out of the office. Like, as you know, you have to go to the office many, many times a week. Totally. And I'd go before work like really early and you'd hope you didn't see anyone. If you did, it was like an unwritten rule. Like you wouldn't talk to them. You wouldn't say anything. You would definitely not say who you saw in an office. Like it was. It had to be. It was like very discreet. You did everything on the down low. I would like go and look in the door first to make sure, like I don't know anyone that's in there, right? Totally. Um, yeah. And, Wearing like a baseball hat
0: and sunglasses.
1: Yes. <laughs> like, <yeah>. And <laughs> Not mention it, and so it all had to be done like really, like like this, like whole, like clandestine, like totally not telling anyone anything about it. So and and there's no none of the social media and none of these support groups or anything. So it's real, it was like a very lonely journey and, you know, and if you're moody or don't feel good or you're doing shots or whatever, that difficulty, like no one knows about any of that. So you're really, really going through it alone. I mean, I had one friend who I, um, who knew and I talked about it with her, but besides that, like no one, like, I don't even think family, like maybe I like told my mom but she still wasn't going to ask a lot of questions because it was kind of like taboo but like I didn't same thing mm-hmm. that anybody else I just did it on my own I'm like mm-hmm.
0: just
1: do it and you know get to the place you want to be and then right. you're you know great so S- in, in how- fact even then I was like super I was the whole thing the process and I was like very superstitious through it, everything like I mean, I waited a really long time till I even told people, and I was probably with twins. So like, I, I noticed a play,
0: like... I, right, like so you're going into longer. work and stuff <laughs> and like, and like yes, not saying and didn't anything. say
1: anything to anybody,
0: yeah. Yes, that's, um, I mean, that's how it was, right? So wh- what about you and your husband? Like, how was he, and how did, how were you guys able to support each other while you were going through it. You know, it's, I feel like it can go one of two ways with me and my husband. It was really, really hard on us, but I've talked to so many other people that were like, Oh, it really bonded us and brought us closer together. We were not that couple.
1: (laughs) You know, I think, I think for my older kids, it was, it was a little less difficult than when we talk about my third child, like as far as trying on us, because my older kids, like, I think, you knew I was just, Determined, I was going to do it. We were both like working, doing our own things, working like in our lives. And I kind of like just did it, like it was just side mm-hmm. right? So I was just doing this kind of like it was just another job that I was right. doing. I mean, I remember the difficulty was just him having like give shots or things like that when you have to have the big shot. I right. shot I could do, but like when you do to like a big progesterone shot where I like could not, you know, manage that one on my own. And like, totally, you know, there takes some, some trust and a leap of faith there. But and you know. The difficulty is I thought, I think he saw up until that point, the entire whatever it is year before that, where like, it was like disappointment after disappointment after disappointment and like waiting for that shoe to drop every time I'd be like, oh, it like, you know, not pregnant again this month, not pregnant, you know, so that piece of it. And I'm sure hormonally, I was probably like somewhat of a mess. And I was very nervous because the whole procedure, like, I didn't know a lot about it, right? I, right? I had researched doctors, I knew about doctors, but there was really, there was like one renowned doctor here in Chicago. That's what I went to. But like, I didn't have a lot of inf- information. Mm-hmm. I was like trying to get information as best I could.
0: But um, were you able to like Google stuff or like where were you getting the info at that, at that point? I mean, yes, a little, but I would just, you know, I would ask the nurses,
1: like, I could say, what's the amount? And what are the things or whatever? And you know, mm-hmm. how much? I take and trying to like figure it out try to track it. I keep like charts on my own and things like that, like just to track everything. Mm-hmm. But it was just a different, it was a different time. So going in, you know, retrieval and like scary or going out totally. like, and I hey, just very, you know, they're a great office and they were helpful. But right. I just didn't have a lot of, I didn't have a lot of information. I had a lot of people to go to. I didn't a lot of people
0: to yeah. talk to or, you know, Totally makes sense. And Instagram obviously wasn't a thing either. Podcasts weren't really a thing, right? So tell me about um, when you guys did the transfer, was it one embryo or did you transfer two or more than two?
1: Actually, at the time they used to transfer three, but it was a very different situation because it was only when they had um, PDF, they didn't have CGH array. So they could only test for five chromosomes at the time. Okay. So standard protocol was like two to three embryos. Okay. Because they didn't have the same kind of like,
0: um, testing as they do. Okay. That's so interesting. Yeah, Yeah. totally. That makes sense. So you put three in and then found out what, what was it like when you got the call that you were pregnant?
1: Um, I remember. So like, I know people sometimes will like take tests on their own and things like that. I never did because I was so nervous. Me too. (laughs) Um, so I, so I were, yes. Um, I was like, really, really? I mean, I kind of thought like my hormones kind of like, because it was twins right away, like were very extreme. Like my levels were like super high. So even the fact that they thought that it was probably like a multiple birth because of mm-hmm. hormone levels and things like that once I yep. went back in. But yes, I mean, I think I was like, I think it was, you know, obviously very, very excited, but I'm like just a cautiously optimistic person. Like I wasn't taking anything for granted and which is why I still didn't share that like news or
0: tell people like or because mm-hmm. I was like, Let's just make sure it's okay. Right. Totally. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. So like, keep it close to the belt. It's almost like a self-protective thing too. Like if you don't tell a lot of people, then it's just like, you know, you don't have to go there if it doesn't work out or something. So how was your twin pregnancy? It was terrible. I had an awful twin pregnancy. Oh no. Tell um, me why. What happened?
1: My water leaked. I was on a work. So this is why I ended up leaving the workforce. And, and fairly abruptly, my water leaked at 20 weeks at a work dinner. And I was I, I ran to the hospital. Um, like literally left in the middle of the dinner. No one knew what was going on. All of a sudden I just pan, I oh grabbed a taxi, no Uber at the time, grabbed a taxi and I was like yelling to like get to the hospital as fast as possible.
0: Oh, scary. Um, Were you terrified? Yes. Um
1: oh. Yes. I mean, I knew this is not like a good thing. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: It was, it was very, very traumatic. I ended up overnight in the hospital waiting to hear what they would say the news. And so it was like a, a just horrific, horrific first night. I ended up, um, in the hospital then for that one, that stint I was in for a week. Then they sent me home. I was home for, was it seven more weeks Then I was back in the hospital. Then, So I ended up on emergency bed rest and Mm. all the high risk doctors uh, recommend they terminate the pregnancy because my water levels were low.
0: Oh my God. What did you think when you heard that?
1: Uh, Yes, it was a major, it was, it required a a really major decision on our part. And right. There are only certain, there's only a certain amount of time that I had that I was able to make that choice. And so it was a lot of pressure because I had to figure out like what to do. So then I ended up getting, you know, I got a steroid shot. Um, I somehow willed this by like, not, I did not like leave my bed. Mm-hmm. I drank water, like tons and tons of water. I kept thinking that's going to like help and keep mm-hmm. uh water going. So it was just a, it, you know, um, I, I was in the hospital. So they were, I was having Ultrasounds like every other day. Like, I have more ultrasounds. I do not know how many ultrasounds they had. They come in, they do the heartbeat monitor every single morning in the hospital. And yeah, it was just a really terrifying. Everyone, people always ask, like, well, what'd you do? Weren't you bored? And I was so scared that I didn't have time to be bored. Like, I couldn't focus on a TV show. I couldn't read a book. I couldn't do anything. Oh, God. So I was like terrified. So I was in the yeah. hospital for six weeks and then seemed, wow, things seemed to be. I didn't go into it's like kind of 48 hours and either go into labor or not. And and they didn't. Thank so I went home and then at 28 weeks, I was like, and I just wanted to get to the marker. They're like, and at the time too, like now babies can be born a little earlier, but like I needed to get to like 28 weeks was kind of like the key point. And I'm like, get to 28, and then after 28, 30, and you know, mm-hmm. um, I get to 28, and my water like totally breaks. And I end up back in the hospital, but I made it for six more weeks in the hospital. They were born at 34
0: weeks. Wow. That's amazing.
1: Yes. It was, it was, uh, a pretty amazing story that I, you know, did not, don't take anything for granted
0: because this was truly a miracle. And did they have to spend some time in the NICU then?
1: They did. So Mm -hmm. they were, uh, my daughter was three pounds, six ounces. My son was three pounds, 14 ounces. So my daughter was there for, uh, two weeks and my son was there for 10 days. And then they sent me home with these, like, I actually, I I would have been happy if they kept them longer. I was like, you're sending me home with, like, four-pound baby. One, I also was a mess. I had a C-section. I had been on bed rest for um, three and a half months. I was not very mobile. Like, I, it was hard. Like, I was very nervous about even taking care of them. Um, I ended up with an infection. My C-section, like, I hadn't walked a lot. I hadn't done anything. And then being felt like I needed, like, physical Like I needed physical therapy afterwards. So Mm -hmm. I was very worried then about like
0: also taking care of these like little preemie babies. Totally. Absolutely. So again, like where were you finding information about that? You know, like about preemies and about NICU life and like, who were you leaning on for support then? Because that's a really, really hard time. Yes. I had one friend who knew a woman
1: that she worked with at her law firm. We had twins who ended up on, who was on bed rest mm-hmm. also, mm-hmm. um, with her twins, like ahead of me and told me about like, you do this and do this and think about this and ask these questions. A very smart woman who like had these twins, actually she had twin girls on her own as a single mom. I mean, a- amazing story. And she was helping guide me. So, so I got it. I had actually no information about P-Prom as far as like, you know, early, um, water breakage. Like I had really no information about that. Mm-hmm. Um, at all. I, I think I was trying to, you know, and you're also careful. Like, there's just so much I wanted to research. Also, like, I wanted some information, but I didn't want too much information because the whole thing was really scary. And I feel like all I was going to get is like really negative.
0: Um, yeah.
1: You know, totally like stats and everything like that. So, because this was very much against the odds. I had one doctor who was like, you know, in my practice, not part of the high risk, but who, you know, came in and did an sound. He's like, I think you're going to be okay. I'm like, really? And so I was like, I'm going to go with that one.
0: <laughs> so, totally, I would have done the same thing.
1: I'm like, yeah, I'll subscribe uh, to that theory. Thank you. Yeah, but wow. So, yeah, okay, not a lot of information. As much as I am a researcher by by nature, right? I tried to get whatever I could, but there just wasn't like that much.
0: Yeah, that you can really figure out. That makes sense. So then, tell me about when they came home, and when did you guys start thinking? Hmm, Maybe we're not done building our family yet. Oh, my husband was probably like, "Yes, we are done." Um, <laughs> and I mean, it took a very long time till
1: I got to that point, honestly, because it was a lot. Preemie twins, yeah. Um, I, everything was a blur the entire first year. Yeah, I remember my they came home and my daughter like was impossible to feed. Like, get her to take like one ounce of formula. You'd have to like undress her. She'd just keep falling asleep. So my friend who has older children. She's like, that is impossible. It cannot take an hour for you to be. There's no way. She came down. She lived in the suburbs at the time. I still lived in the city in Chicago. Mm-hmm. She came down. She's like, oh my gosh. She's like, I, I couldn't, I, I could not manage this. She's like, she came down to see how hard it was to feed her, this, this baby, get to undress her, take everything off, sit her upright, everything to take like one ounce. She's like, oh my gosh. I like, she's like, I would go crazy.
0: Oh so, wow! And I yeah. was like
1: documenting like every uh, everything they ate, when they slept, when they pooped, like everything. I charts and charts and charts to keep track of everything and how they were eating. So it was, it was all consuming. Oh, um, wow. And I was fortunate; I had help. But even with help, it was like one person would have one baby, I had another. Like and my husband had a really crazy busy job; he wasn't around, mm-hmm. so. Yes. I was definitely not on the road where I was like, oh, I was trying to recover. I was trying to get better. I was trying to, you know, get my strength back. So everything was going on at once. And so I was not anywhere near thinking about it.
0: Okay. I, so you it, said they're they're yes. 20 years old now? Yes. Oh my gosh. Okay. So then fast forwarding again, when, when did your, the next, so you know, I'd part say of your when story they were happen? about, here's what I thought with twins, I felt like I only got to experience everything once.
1: So I think once, especially once like um, kindergarten hit and I'm like, oh my gosh, they both left for school at like, the same time, even though it was like only a couple hours in the morning. But I was like, it's, like I want to experience everything more than once. And with twins, it's like, even though they're, you know, I was very fortunate. I have a boy and a girl and everything. My husband's like, we like get the job out. We have a boy and a girl, like what? It's like, oh, but I feel like it's like just one time I want another, like something did not feel complete in me. I don't it's know what
0: so it is, funny, Mara. I had the same exact thought it, with you know, my. Cause I had secondary infertility, and with you know, we had a healthy daughter, and then I was like, "I'm just mm-hmm. not done. I want to do this again. I want to like go through it all again."
1: Right, and I just did not feel like something was just missing. It was like, it was really like I, I don't know how, but I knew like my family was not complete, and maybe it's because I have like all these friends, and they had all had already third children and fourth children. I was like something, I just feel like, I, I felt like for them, even it's like the two of them are just like this unit, like they needed another, you mm-hmm. know, um, baby in the family. So, but that one took a very, very long time. So that process, mm-hmm. I went, I, I honestly, I don't know how many times. Um, so you're
0: doing IVF again? I did
1: IVF, yeah. I don't even know how many times, to be honest. Um, yeah. So I did many retrievals many transfers. Then they got to the point where technology had the um, you know, PJ or whatever is PJ rate where they could like test everything, mm-hmm. um, all chromosomes. So um after many, many years of like it, and and it was very unfortunately also like consuming, cause like here I have kids that you want to like actually be able to focus on and they were miracles in themselves. But I was also like going through this like super arduous process of trying to have a third child. So then I um eventually we decided that um my I had very poor lining and it was just never gonna work. So it was not going to be my uterus <laughs> that decision was made. And I think especially for my my OBGYN, I think it's like, you know, after the whole last thing and I think it kind of just messed me up. I'm not a good carrier candidate okay so we decided to go um a surrogate route okay and so luckily in one of my retrievals um and we had you know done a, a a couple of very good like all perfect you know embryos and the ones that i there was only one well then i had a few um left and then i started with one surrogate who unfortunately also did not work she had um like didn't work the first time. Then we did, we did another time. And then by the third time when we tried, I think it was two or three and, and um, she had a miscarriage. And that was like just devastating shit coming all the night. It was like horrendous on all parts. Oh, and wow. then I realized like it was someone else because, you know, as much as she was great or whatever, I just didn't think, I didn't want to keep going through that obviously. And so we found totally. another one. Yes. And, and, and that's a whole, it's, it's a very big, process that's an totally. administrative
0: process. It's were a you working process. with were you working with an agency to find I had an the surrogate help Okay. Me find, and yeah, did your, your law background come into play when you're dealing with all of this, you know, the paperwork yes. the contracts and all that stuff? Contracts, but there are
1: all these things you have to think about that are like outside of any law I ever practice, right? Like you really that process is much more about like a little bit of a meeting of the minds. Like someone's gotta be on the same they do to want the same things out of it, out of the relationship going forward. Like, there's just so many things that go into it and factors of finding the right person. And for someone who's a major, major control freak, um, it's it's difficult to give up that control. Like, I am generally like to manage everything. Yeah, totally I understand, you get, yes. I, you know, but I also think I was at the point where, like, I kind of just wanted the baby. And I really didn't care. Like for me, my pregnancy was horrible. I don't know why I wanted that again. Like it was a, it was a, it was not a fun experience. It was a very, very stressful, like terrifying experience for me. So I wanted the end result. So like, great, right, like our, I knew it was our biological child from our embryos. I was like, great. I just want the end end result of having a baby. And I, kind of good with if someone else is a better like she has like super easy practice she gets pregnant easily she has easy pregnancies you know she'd done this before for another family she had her own three children like fantastic you are going to be a way better candidate I mean she literally gave birth to my third child and like checked out of the hospital like that same day like it was like e- nothing for her oh my god um, yes yeah, you know I got the end all I cared about it was the end result right and the fun part about That is, I didn't tell anybody that we're having a baby, like literally to like 31 weeks. Oh my God. How did you keep it a secret? I'm pretty good at keeping things close to the chest and that. And that's another one because I had so many like bad experiences. I can think I'm like, okay, at 16 weeks, I'll tell me, I'm like, no, 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 I'm just gonna wait. Maybe at 18. And then I'm like 20 and then I'm at 24. So like, I just kept going on and on. And now I'm like, oh, this is gonna kind of be like cool just to tell people when it's like, Oh, and by the way, we're coming up with a baby. <laughs> baby like, oh my you know. God. What was the reaction? Yeah. Well, my mom, I told a little bit beforehand, but not very much, like maybe like, like 24 or 28 weeks. And she's like, you didn't tell me all this time. The most fun was telling my older kids. So they were nine years old at the time. And we have a video of telling them and they were just like jumping up and down. My daughter's like, we're going to have a baby. We're going to have a baby. And then she goes, I'm not going to be an only child. And she's like sitting next to her brother. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's amazing.
1: That <laughs> was great. And honestly, because of the age difference, I mean, not a planned age difference, but because of it, they were enamored with him and still are. Because of the difference, like, he's my, you know, I feel like. Key to getting them to come home from college. Like, all they want to do is come see their little brother and watch him the sports and be with him. Like, I have this like draw for them to either I could have like a, you know, a puppy, but they have like a little baby brother. So they were so enamored with him. And I mean, I don't think my daughter would like put him down. I was like, she was just carrying him everywhere. She would like wake right. up when he woke up and I want to make sure he's eating and everything. Like, she made a special onesie from every single month that he turned a month older. She decorated and made. Um, a onesie for him for that month. Oh my God. That's so great. Yeah. So he is very fortunate child that he is like literally the center of like, he's got like, not just feels like he has like four parents pretty much because he's got like, totally two older siblings and we're older. And he's like the center of everybody's universe. Right. So he's truly the baby of the family. Okay. And then I knew, and the other reason I knew, like, I'm like, we are good. I feel like this is it. It's complete. Is that he is a kid who loves being the youngest. Like he never wanted
0: a younger sibling ever. He likes being. <laughs> yeah, he youngest. likes being the baby. Yeah. So it all worked out. <laughs> totally. Amazing. Well, tell me before we talk about Inspiro, Tequila, your company, which again is so awesome and what you're doing is Thank so great. You. Let's talk about, you know, if somebody's listening that's like new to this world you know, you were going through this a while ago, but but you're so well-versed in it and everything. What would you say to somebody now that like you wish you knew then that you know now about going through infertility, about going through IVF, about surrogacy, all of it?
1: Right. Well, I'd say first with IVF is ask a lot of questions. I think, you know, because I'm generally inquisitive and because I had a legal background, and I would go in and like ask a lot, especially going through like, okay, I'm like, wait, what are you doing? And why are you changing this? What are you doing? Like, I feel like, most of them, it's going to feel very just like you're kind of part of a, you know, um, big, large, like industrial process that you go Totally. Through. Yeah. And don't feel like you can like advocate or ask questions for yourself because they kind of just give you, here's your regimen, here's what you do. And I would say, and because it's an intimidating experience and all that, like ask questions and advocate for yourself, find out. Um, I was very on top of that, especially once I was going through it, like again and again, and I had an idea. I'm like, well, why are you changing this? And what is the, what's the mix here and why are you doing this? And like, and I think that's really important is to like get a handle on it. Cause it's like very easy just to follow, like here's your directions and just follow. And I would advocate for yourself and, and ask questions. So when I've had friends later going through or family members, I'm like, Oh, is there a reason they gave you this medication? This one, like you do the research on your own also. Mm-hmm. And then the second thing is now that there are people out there in support groups, like you can, there's someone. It doesn't matter what you're doing or what your process or what you're dealing with. Someone's dealt with that before, right? And you can find them. That's why you have groups. Yeah, that's why you have your group, right? So you right. Find people, get information exactly um, at the time. And it's it's not this like taboo subject matter anymore. It's kind of like there are lots of different routes to building a family, and now they're like you know appreciated and applauded. And it just was a different circumstance when I you know was was going through this process. So I'm glad mm-hmm. that now there's more availability. You know, I figured most of these things out just on my own.
0: Definitely. And you okay, don't have so to know <laughs> tell me tell me about starting this company. Why tequila and why now and how did you do it? And tell me all the things. It's so awesome.
1: Yes. Thank you. So yeah, you know, listen, I was home for many years because I was home when I had my twins and then then I had a child nine and a half years, nine and a half years later. So I was home and out of the workforce for like 16 years. I think once they started high school and I realized like, oh my gosh, they're both going to high school and like, then they're going to go to college at the same time. That's going to be like a really difficult, like, I think it's time. And I'd always thought about starting my own company. Um, it's always been in the back of my head. I probably just, you know, listened to too much how I built this or, you know, totally. um and watch too much Shark Tank, but I, I knew I wanted to start my own company. I knew I didn't want to work for someone else anymore. I knew it was going to be um, in food or beverage. I'm a, I'm like a super consumer. I love taste testing everything. I order everything, I try everything. Like, I'm just a major like foodie and consumer, taste testing different things, mostly in the better for you category. Mm-hmm. Um, so, gluten free and non dairy and, and all these things. So, mm-hmm. um, the reason I became tequila is because tequila has been my adult beverage of choice for many years. And because I didn't want sugar and carbs and I'm gluten-free and all these things. So I started mm-hmm. drinking tequila. Mm-hmm. Then I started researching the category and learning more and trying different tequila brands. I did not know that everything I was drinking had additives in it. So like the right. vast majority you, of tequila You were telling additives. me this in,
0: in Chicago and I was yeah. like, what? That's crazy. Like yeah, I never like knew all, any of that. All, you
1: know, pretty much all the major brands, all the big brands, mm-hmm. everything I was drinking and knew like, oh, it has like coloring and flavoring and aspartame and sorghum mm-hmm. and all these things. I was like, I don't eat those in my food. So I don't want them in my drink either. Mm-hmm. So really I searched for an additive free brand. I want the one that like appealed to me as the consumer. I didn't find that. So I'm like, I'm gonna start a cute company. I mean, I say it flippantly, it took a lot, a lot of research. Listen, you can you can go into any industry, you can learn something, but like I dove in. Once I said I was gonna do it, I tried to learn as much as possible. Just like I had to do and navigate and figure out and research on my own to figure out, you know, fertility process, mm-hmm. I did the same here. And so I just dove in, learned about the production process, learned about the spirits industry overall, took a course offered by the CRT, the governing body of Mexico, and became certified in the production and history of tequila, read books on tequila, mm-hmm. reached out to industry executives. A big piece of it is I knew who this consumer was and it was, it was a consumer like me and and a thoughtful female consumer who cares about what she eats and drinks and the brands she supports. So everything behind it really had to resonate with that consumer. So mm-hmm. from the bottle design that you saw, I wanted it to be a bottle that I would want to display on my bar. I wanted a bottle that was easy to hold and pour, so slender in the middle. I wanted a taste profile that was really um, approachable and easy to drink tequila, but without using additives. So getting some of those sweeter tasting notes, but without uh-huh. using additives to get them. I wanted to innovate a little bit. So I was like, I had this idea like, let's age tequila and rosé wine barrels. So we have a rosé Reposado that's first tequila aged and rosé wine barrels. That's so you cool. Know, because I'd never been in the industry before, I could look at it from like kind of a, a, a fresh set of eyes. And I'd been in industries in my previous life. And just like this one where women are traditionally underrepresented. So I thought if it's going to do something and go back into the workforce, I wanted to be able to make an impact. And so that we could do that by bringing a female perspective to an industry where there are not a lot of female voices. So that is why we are distilled, owned, and led by women. So everyone mm-hmm. from our master's still are in Mexico, down the line. I really just wanted to bring, you know, hopefully something a little bit different to a category. Yeah. I mean, there are some women now and more and more women getting in, but just to really, there's still not enough. Like it's even if so there's great. one or two other brands, there are not enough. I
0: love that it's all female founded and led. And yeah. you were telling me about the distillery. Is that the right word for it? Like where it's manufactured? Is that it's down, Is it in Mexico? Yes. So, okay. Can, can you tell me a little bit agave. more about Yeah. Tell yes. me a little bit all more about All that. tequila
1: that's 100% agave tequila is, is manufactured and, and battled in areas of Mexico. It's like mm-hmm. champagne has to be done in Appalachian of origin. Mm-hmm. So any tequila that says 100% agave, it is produced, distilled, battled, everything, and then brought into the country. So okay. I have a distillery in Mexico who produced it. Um, I brought in my own master distiller. So I found a, a legendary master distiller, Ana Maria Romero Mania. She created her taste profiles. Um, there are not that many female master distillers, so I picked a distillery that would let me bring in my own master distiller. So I found actually my master distiller separate from my distillery because I wanted her to create. I wanted some. I wanted her to bring it to life, like what I was envisioning, and yeah, and she did. <laughs>
0: right everybody thank you so much for listening and thank you to Mara for sharing her story guys I'm always looking for more stories so if you have anything you'd like to share you can always DM me at Stories, or you can email me at Stories at gmail I'm pretty booked up through the end of the year, but we will start recording some new stuff in the beginning of 2024. So hit me up if you have something interesting you'd like to share. My opinion is that all stories are important and all stories matter. So let me know what you've been going through. Also check out Fertility Rally. Our website is fertilityrally.com. We have monthly and annual memberships. We have five to six support groups per week. Guys, that's a lot. And you're welcome to come to any and all of them. So, if you're looking for a safe space, if you're looking for a badass community, if you're looking for a website full of resources and videos, IRL events, virtual events. We have got it all. It's what I wish I had when I was going through it. So check us out at Fertility Rally. And of course, as always, let me know if you have any questions. Thank you so much. Talk to you guys next time.